0: Welcome back to Left of Normal, where everything that isn't right is left. And if it feels left, then it must be right. I'm your host, Scott Seary. So before we jump into this, I want to make sure you know that I appreciate you. I love you. I am excited that you follow this podcast. And I'd love it even more if you'd share it with your friends, share it with your social group, your network, maybe drop it in over on that Twitter thingy and the LinkedIn thingy, because uh, that's kind of where I don't have as big of a reach, so if you can help me reach more people on those platforms, that would be awesome. So last week, I dipped into a topic called self-compassion. Uh, we talked about empathy, sympathy, compassion, and self-compassion, and kind of got into a little bit of how a lot of people online are getting it kind of wrong it's more of they're going through more of self-affirmations that's part of self-compassion but not the full thing it's kind of uh touching on it but not getting into it so scroll on back listen to that one after you're done with this podcast where we have a guest on our show i've known her for probably seven eight years something like that met through our biz to biz group that we were both part of a number of years ago and helped each other grow our businesses uh, welcome to the show, Susie Debar. Hi,
1: hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: All right. So usually I'd like to start out with uh, just kind of a brief uh, explanation of when we met and kind of what your first or early impressions of me, because I know I tend to come off differently to different people. So I wanted to see when you first joined Biz2Biz. I think it was just shortly after I joined. And kind of what your thoughts were when you saw our interactions there. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, what did you What did you think? Uh, you know, when you first noticed me there, when you first. Oh,
1: okay. First so when me... I first met you and saw you, uh, you seemed like the cu- the quiet guy who was observing everything, and. Every time you opened your mouth, you could just tell there was a high intelligence there from my perspective, and you were so concise with your words and the point you wanted to get across without using a lot of words, and I really like that. I thought it was difficult to get to know you as a person, though, um, because I felt like it was very difficult to build rapport, and at the time, I didn't know what rapport was, and I didn't know how to gain rapport with people, per se. And um, that that seemed very difficult. But you seemed cool and like somebody I wanted to get to know just because you could speak so clearly.
0: Uh, so when you say difficult to build rapport with me, difficult to get to know, was it more just because I didn't open up, I didn't talk enough, you felt like you had to pry the words out of me, or something else?
1: I just didn't know how to approach you.
0: I get that a lot. I think a lot of uh, people on the spectrum, a lot of left of normal people like myself were, tend to be a little more uncomfortable in those social situations. So we tend to sit back and observe and people find that as a little bit disconcerting when they see us. But then, you know, just once we start talking, then it tends to open up and loosen up a bit.
1: Yes. And I think like a lot of times when we're like getting to know somebody, we feel like we have to use words. Like, if we're not using words, then how can we get to know somebody? And now what I've learned and like, I feel like I can sit in a room with you and be comfortable with you and feel like we have a friendship, but we don't necessarily have to be talking all the time.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I don't know, I've ne- I haven't looked into that. I talked about that recently on one of the episodes about how we we feel like we always have to be filling the air with words. And if things aren't being spoken, then there's something wrong going on. And I think it's a Western culture thing, but I'm not hundred percent certain on that.
1: I, th- I think I would agree with that to an extent, it, it, especially about there's the like, we feel like we have to like be talking mm-hmm. all the time. And it's like, sometimes can we just like sit here and be without <laughs> needing to be talking all the time?
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So have you listened to very many episodes of this podcast and uh, what were kind of the biggest takeaways, the biggest insights that you gained from the the ones you have listened to?
1: It's just nice to hear people actually talk about it, recognize it, and look at it. Because so many times we will just maybe look at somebody and think what we think, but not actually the conversation's not out there in the open, and we're left spe- speculating whatever it is we think it is instead of actually getting a perspective of where they're coming from.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know it's, I mean, in person, it's harder to talk about this stuff. That's why I do it through the podcast. Uh, But then that's a way for me to just kind of share more about me and people can get to know me rather than try to figure out how to approach me in a social situation where I'm not really wanting to be approached half the time.
1: Yes. I always liked it when, you know, I would see you at the networking things and there was this one time you said like, this is what I'm doing or something. And I, and I don't care about people's feelings. And like, I knew when you said (laughs) it, it wasn't saying it from a place like I don't care about people, but it was just like, I don't connect to the feelings. And when you Mm -hmm. said that, that really helped me like understand you better and know that it's not like I needed to, uh, maybe say a lot of words, but yet that impulse is always there to, like you say, the culture to want to fill the space with words.
0: Yeah. I know. I can't, I remember saying that a few times, something about feelings and I know it always came out the wrong way, but it was like, this is the most concise and easiest way without just launching into a huge dialogue about what I'm trying to get across. It was more of just, it's not that I don't care about your feelings. It's that, they don't change our interaction or something like that. You know, exactly. your feelings are important, but I'm not going to change my opinion because you feel one way versus I feel one way versus you don't like me or I don't like you. It's still going to be civil towards each other.
1: And that's what I appreciated about it. Cause it was just concise and to the point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh. Outside of this, do you know anyone else that's on the spectrum or now that you've gained some more insights, do you recognize something that someone that you've known throughout your life or maybe used to know that now things, the way they behave, the way they act and talk, now they kind of make sense?
1: I actually do know somebody who's on the spectrum and um, they actually lived with me for a while. Uh, They were a younger person and that was it was definitely interesting being around them and uh when they lived with me it was it was a good experience um you know we had boundaries and all that and the boundaries were respected and they did what they needed to do and we did what we needed to do and it was it was a good experience overall
0: yeah, and just speaking with, you know, my wife, my son, and I, we're both on the spectrum. And just over the years, she's learned, I think, that it's a good experience to try and, you know, obviously, it's not available for everyone to live with somebody that's on the spectrum. But it's a great way to, especially the normies out there, to test their patience, because we can be very difficult and regimented. And if things don't go our way, then it gets a little frustrating sometimes but I think everyone should try to at least spend time with someone on the spectrum to test their patience and learn how to interact with people like us.
1: I I would agree with that. I think I also, um, I met up with a friend recently that I hadn't seen since like high school and talking with them, I was, it just made me wonder if they were, uh, mm-hmm. Just, you know, and it was like, and it was just really interesting to hang out with them and good to reconnect with them. But it was just so different than what I remember them being like in my mind. And whether age has anything to do with that, I don't know. But that was just, it was really cool to meet with that person, be able to have a conversation and recognize where they're at and mm-hmm. be okay. Like, oh, they're they're doing good. They're fine
0: yeah so yeah it's uh, interesting to look back and you know once you learn more about it and then once you can kind of pick up you know i'd never recommend asking anyone if they're on the spectrum but you can kind of pick up the clues and then adjust your behavior even if they're not they still have some of the may still have some of the traits and you can just adjust your interactions accordingly so somebody like you know aubrey kincaid who is super loud and outgoing and obnoxious and that's one of the reasons i like him because he doesn't care what people think and he's great at meeting people. And so I go up to Aubrey and when I'm at social situations, I'm like, hey, introduce me to someone because I'm not gonna I'm just gonna stand in the corner the rest of the time. But then if you see somebody like him, you know how he acts and acts, But then you see somebody that may or may not be on the spectrum, and then you can adjust your behavior to match theirs or to make them feel more comfortable. Um, so let's move on to a little bit kind of in your background. Uh when we were part of biz to biz, you had first started, we'll get into this just a minute, you can tell me about your, your entrepreneurial journey here. But uh, in your fitness journey, and you were a fitness coach and ran a gym for a little while there. uh, Do you recognize looking back some clients that may have been on the spectrum? And do you think they made better or worse clients? I feel like they would be better because once they start that regimen and get in that routine they would stick to it and not be as flaky as some other clients may end up being
1: i actually think i did have a client as a personal training client and they were a little bit younger and i agreed the focus was the focus was there especially for the age and i could have the I don't know, I don't uh, like the technical conversation with them about, Mm. you know, why we were doing what we were doing and how it worked for them and they would get it. And that was really cool because they understood what was going on, why they were doing it. And they have taken what they've learned and moved on and doing their own thing and still continuing to work out and work on their fitness goals that was really cool mm-hmm. to work with somebody who was focused and interested in learning
0: yeah yeah and so anyone listening in if you work with clients uh, and you find that you're working with someone on the spectrum or even suspected to be uh, explain to us why we do things and then it's much easier to for us to just follow in line and say okay this is why we're doing it rather than you say, do this, and generally we'll follow the instructions, but we want to really know the why behind those instructions. So, arbitrary rules like at school, where they, you know, if you went to school and they said no wearing shirts that are red, well, there's really no why behind that. So, it's really hard to follow. We'll follow the instruction, but it's we, it creates this weird disconnect, but even something uh, more in tune with like personal training. Here's why you should do it lift this way versus this way. It feels better this way, but that's wrong because it's going to damage this part of your body. And so once you explain that to us, then all of a sudden it's like, we'll never do it because we know now why we're doing it the right way. So anybody that's working with clients in any manner, explain the why and they'll, they'll love you for it.
1: That's, that's just like bringing up to mind another client that now that I think about it, it's could have been possibly the same scenario. I wasn't ever quite sure why this client would keep coming just because like, you know, once again, it wasn't the usual interaction and I retained that client for quite a long time. And now that I think about it, I would always explain what we were doing, why we were doing it and how it was working for them. So that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And they probably just felt comfortable because I bet they've gone to other gyms and they're just like, yeah, do it like this. And then they just kind of left them to their own. Whereas you were more hands-on, more explanatory, more coach rather than instruction. Okay. So let me see if I can get our timeline right. I can't remember when you first joined biz, you were working for another company. Uh, You were doing basically all the things. And so you said, why am I doing this for somebody else? Let me open my own fitness studio Debar fitness and wellness. Uh, You ran that for a number of years. I don't know if you're still doing that coaching on the side. And then recently, recently, as in like the last several years, you transitioned to uh, tell me more about I can't exactly explain it as good as you can with the where you're at now. So tell me about this whole story, how you ended up where you're at now.
1: So I had a health crisis and decided I needed to change up what I was doing from uh, the fitness. And I am very passionate about helping people reach their goals. And so I decided to go down the path of coaching and found the tools of neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis got certified in those techniques and that's what changed for me for being a coach from being a good coach to a great coach and actually helping people get to their goals along with using those techniques for myself in my health journey to help me uh, improve my health and so now what i do is i do personal professional growth coaching using those techniques and i'm also a trainer so I can certify people in using neuro-linguistic programming techniques and hypnosis.
0: All right, and so a lot of people may have heard it as NLP, I think, neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, There's something with tapping in there. I remember you talked about that at a 1 million cups. Uh, Can you explain to me the science behind it? Because personally, I still see some of this as a little bit of, say, voodoo. But I do know there's like a science there, but the science isn't fully understand. I equate it to kind of like a electricity 300 years ago. We knew what that electricity existed and we kind of knew how it affected, but we didn't know how to harness it the way we do now. And so there's the science is there. We know of the science. We just don't fully understand the science. And that's kind of how I look at this stuff. So can you explain what we know about the science be- behind what you're doing?
1: So when you break it down to the techniques, basically all it is is there were two dudes who were studying different things and realized that they could do these different things just by modeling what they saw and learned. So NLP, there's nothing in NLP that is NLP. NLP comes from other places. It comes from psychology. It comes from... Um, When we talk about, let's say, anchoring in NLP, it comes from Pavlov, the guy with the dogs who rang the bell.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We're taking different models and breaking it down into processes that are usable. So we do that with language. Uh, We use, if you've heard of Milton Erickson, who's like the godfather of hypnosis, we use a lot of his language patterns. In our coaching, uh, Virginia Satir, she was the, this amazing woman with family therapy, and she could work with people just by asking questions and get to the root cause of their problem and bur- blow out the structure of it neurologically just by asking questions. So we model her work and use those to help people break through the deep structure of a problem at a neurological level. Because everything we think is held in our body somewhere in our nervous system. So you create mm-hmm. neural pathways that create your habits. And if you have a unwanted behavior, people sometimes think, well, I can." that's all I can do. I can't change my behavior. But we believe that you can. So we use these different models that they've pulled and put together and called it neurolinguistic programming and use those to... Help break out of the deep structure at a neurological level of the problem and create new neural pathways so you can create new habits and instill those.
0: And so, yeah, (laughs) and so a couple questions get raised there. So, um, see if I can. So basically you're looking at, are you dealing more with like a childhood trauma that somebody doesn't talk about and they just need to break it down. They need to talk through this to try and mm-hmm. just level it. So it's in my mind, it piles up and it's not, you can't get over the pile cause it's too tall, but if you break it down and turn that pile like on its side, now it's flat and you can get over that problem because, you know, physically you can step over one object, but you can't step over 20 of them. Is that kind that of is. similar it to, is. is that what you're talking about? You're breaking down the problems through language and asking questions?
1: Yes. So we're looking at how they've like, just like you said, structured the problem through the language. So we're looking at the context of the problem. The content is not so much important other than we just use the content to understand how they're, they've placed the linguistic barrier on the problem. So it's different from therapy that we don't have you come in and uh, tell me about all the terrible things that have happened to you and relive it and create more, you know, neural pathways, talking about it. We have you talk a little bit about the problem so we understand how you've structured it in your mind. And then we use the questioning to have you view it in a way you haven't thought of before. so that you don't mm. necessarily need to go back in and relive live all that trauma mm-hmm. and you can see it from a different perspective and realize you have more choices.
0: Yeah. Uh, can you tell me, like give me an example of like what a client would come in with what they're facing and kind of how you'd work through it and what they hope to get out of it. Where, where do you want them to be when they're done
1: so with coaching we always have a starting point which is where you're at now and with coaching there's always an end point and what is it that you want and then how will you know you get it so we identify that very clearly at the beginning of a coaching session of what the actual problem is what the presenting problem is and then what do they want instead and then how will you know when you got it so once we've identified that, because there is a clear start and a clear end where therapy, you may go and you don't know how long you will be in therapy, there is definitely a start and a finish. Mm-hmm. Then I go in and do a detailed personal history and they get to pour out everything about the problem. I ask them some questions and this is where I take content so that I can look at how they've languished and structured the problem in their mind. And after I've taken the detailed personal history, I take that language, I look at how they've structured the problem, and then I determine what techniques to use to help them loosen the grip on the problem and then release the problem so that once it's not there, they realize they have more choices in front of them. There's, like you said, it's flattened it out emotionally so, that all of those negative emotions are not attached to it and they can make decisions based on the new choices that they discover.
0: And so, kind of what uh, concrete, more concrete example, like what are your the main people that come in? What are they struggling with? Is it like they want to quit smoking or gambling addiction or?
1: Something I've worked different? with quite a few people in relationship and career and money.
0: And so are they like trying to break to the next level of their career type thing?
1: Yes. People who have been stuck in their career, they feel like I'm not able to make the money I want. Uh, I've, um, This is what I want. and I don't know how to get there. I, I've, you know, mm-hmm. I've worked with this lady and she's done amazing things and she wanted to go to the next level. She didn't feel like she was making the money she wanted, and just felt stuck couldn't wasn't being productive to get to where she wanted to go to make the money she wanted Mm -hmm. and do what she wanted. And we, I worked with her and she has completed her goals of what she wanted, how much money she wanted to make. And now she's moving on to um, working on one of her passions that has just sat there. Another client, was stuck in their career and they're now they set their goal and they are now currently reaching their goal in a matter of like four months of coaching Mm -hmm. they've been able to make the choices and decisions they needed to uh, have the freedom to be able to make that money they want And I hate to go into like specific details of (laughs) this is what they did, because it's different for everyone to get to a goal. I don't want anybody to assume if I say it's this way, it's only this way that you can get to that goal. All
0: right. And so it sounds like it's mostly uh, mental barriers that they're kind of trying to get over. Do you ever work with people that are like addicts that have a physical addiction that they need to get their mindset Overcome their mental hurdles first before they can think about overcoming e- either drug addiction, alcoholism, or even something smoking or caffeine addiction or sugar addiction. Is it all? Is it mostly mental, or can you work with people that have those bigger physical, not necessarily bigger, but more tangible physical addictions?
1: I can, and I have not worked with anyone yet.
0: And then I mentioned tapping. I don't remember if that was you or somebody that did something similar. Is that something that you work with as well?
1: Uh, that's something different. Somebody okay. else. Yeah.
0: I know they're around the same time when you presented at One Million Cups, somebody else presented a similar idea. And I think you both did NLP, but they also did the tapping. And I couldn't remember if that was you or someone else. I'll have to look I that. I can't up.
1: remember who it is, but I know who you're talking. I remember that yeah presentation
0: and so do you know anything about the tapping or is it something that's still foreign to you that you don't feel comfortable talking about
1: uh i've experienced tapping and now that i understand it better i could see how it's useful for people um By being able to say the words and then tap the body, create that neurological, that kinesthetic feeling by hearing it, saying it, and then what we call anchoring it into place, Um, I could definitely see how that could be beneficial for people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suppose it's like one of those things, uh, a self-affirmation that you can't sit there in your business meeting and talk to yourself with self-affirmations, but you could tap your knee type thing and then that Pavlov's dog type thing. Again, it would trigger that memory and a physical response to the emotional or mental connection. Yes. Uh, Let's see. There was one more thing. Uh, Do you think that this NLP tapping or anything that you do would be beneficial to the autistic community? Do you think it could help uh, people that are a little more socially anxious than myself or just more... A uh, little further left of normal than me. Do you think that this would be a good option for them to pursue?
1: That's a great question. <laughs> My uh, unconscious says yes, absolutely.
0: Something that you it probably wouldn't hurt. Maybe it wouldn't help as much as they'd hope, but... I don't think anybody would go into a coaching session with you and come out worse for it.
1: Yes, I think, you know, it depends on what their presenting problem is. It just depends on what the presenting problem is because they're coming in with something very specific. And if they're willing to work on it, then yes, I believe there are things that they can learn and discover about themselves that will help them get to where they want to go.
0: All right. Well, I'll have uh, your contact information in the post so people can get in touch. I encourage anybody that is on the spectrum, if you have some struggles, some very specific struggles you're trying to overcome and you just can't figure out what to do, get in touch with Susie. See what you can work out with her and see see how it helps. Maybe you'll make a great case study for the autistic community and this could open up a whole new area where autistic folks can turn to when they need a little bit more help than what they're already getting. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else that we should know about you life, the universe, everything?
1: I think the only thing that you need to know about me is that I'm highly passionate about working with people and meeting people where they're at. That's always been, I feel my strength as a personal trainer, as a coach as a certification trainer is being able to, that's my gift and my art of coaching is meeting people where they're at and working with them to meet them where they're at and help guide them to where they want to go.
0: All right. And I can give you a shout out that, you know, as long as I've known you, I've always felt you're a very genuine person. You know, there's some of those people that you meet them and you just always feel on edge. But with Susie, I've never felt uncomfortable. I've never felt she had any Intent other than what she just expresses. There's there's no hidden agenda there with you. So I have always appreciated that with your friendship and our connection. So shout out to you there. Thank you. All right. Well, that should wrap it up. I appreciate you coming on today.
1: All right. Thank you for having me, Scott.
0: For now, you've had a peek into the world where everything left is right. And if it feels right, then it must be left. Thanks for tuning in, please don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, join the Facebook community, feel free to ask questions, interact over there, and get to know everyone. Remember that there's a whole lot of science-y type stuff out there that we really don't fully understand yet, and over the years it's just going to get more and more clear for us. And of course, share this with your friends, whether they are left, normies, or right.